I remember sitting on my bedroom floor and my mom coming into the room and I was my I felt tears welling up in my eyes I was looking at my closet my walk-in closet and I realized this is a nicer room than a lot of people were even living in down there hey hey I'm Ben Yan and you're listening to people of LinkedIn the podcast where ideas are shared and connections are created on each show Guests bring stories of unique accomplishments and ambitious aspirations. We invite you to reach out and help them in their journey as a change maker. On the show today is Nick Bastian. He's a recent grad from Penn State where he actually created his own major. He's deeply passionate about his faith and local community. And now, just at the age of 22, is a full-time pastor. This is my conversation with Nick. I hope you enjoy. Nick's path to being a pastor didn't actually start from when he was a small kid. If I told Nick 10 years ago that he was going to grow up and become a full-time pastor, he probably would have thought I was crazy. While he and his family did attend church, it definitely wasn't Nick's highlight of the week. The way we practiced, though, is that uh, we would go frequently. I don't think any of us really enjoyed it that much. What would happen often is I would wander upstairs on a Sunday morning and be like, hey, Dad, like, what if we just stayed home today? I'd like to play Madden, you know, is, you know, what if we just uh, didn't go out? And every now and then we'd be able to talk him out of it. And it was kind of this thing, not that we dreaded, but that it didn't feel like anyone really looked forward to. It wasn't until eighth grade that things really started to shift. And it wasn't really because of something that you might expect. I remember my cousin David had introduced me to a Christian artist named Lecrae. And I thought my cousin David was cool, and so as a result, I thought Lecrae was cool. And I started listening to him, and I, if you'd asked me if anyone else in my high school knew who he was, I would have told you probably not. Uh, this was right before he kind of blew up and became more of a household name across America and, or, and appeared on the Letterman show and so forth. And, and so I, I knew who Lecrae was, but I didn't think anyone else knew. And so I was sitting in my homeroom class, and my friend Andrew Bassler was sitting in front of me. And he pulled out his phone, and, and his background was actually Lecrae's album cover, and it caught my eye. And I asked him, I was like, is that, is that a Lecrae album? Is your phone a screensaver? And he was like, yeah, you know who that is? And we had this, and we were friends before that, but we had this bonding moment of we both knew this obscure Christian rapper. And from there, our friendship really began to flourish. He had already invited me to his, his youth group that he was heavily involved in prior to that. And so I think I told him no maybe a dozen, two dozen times. It wasn't something I was interested in. I was very much an introvert, wanted to be home, uh, enjoyed my video games, enjoyed being able to wind down from the day after sports practice in the afternoon. And so I had always told him no. Him and a couple other friends had worked on me for quite some time. And finally, one evening, I broke. I had my parents drive me in. I stopped at this youth group and had way more fun than I thought I might. So Nick starts going to this group quite regularly and learns that they take a mission trip every year down to Haiti. So after some convincing to get his parents on board, he went on the trip, which really turned a chapter in his life. And so I took this trip down to Haiti around the same time that I'd read Radical by David Platt. And that for me was kind of my first missional experience. Looking back now, while it was foundational for me, I think a lot of the short-term mission trips do 
more good for the people that go on them than the people that are actually receiving what the mission work is for. We went down and I think maybe painted some walls and helped put together some pews for this small church in Haiti. But what I realized on that trip was that the people of Haiti, while materially, um, while they were living in uh, relative poverty to the life I had back in the United States, what I found is that they had far more joy than what I perceived from most Americans. And that for me was kind of this watershed moment of realizing that material prosperity was not necessarily connected to happiness. And what I realized is that uh, they, while we felt like we were going down to help them, really they helped us realize that, that money and happiness are not necessarily connected. And so I came back uh, and experienced this sort of reverse culture shock of living in America. And that was, uh, I remember sitting on my bedroom floor and my mom coming into the room and I was, my, I felt tears welling up in my eyes. I was looking at my closet, my walk-in closet, and I realized this is a nicer room than a lot of people were even living in down there. It was a moment for me that I think planted this idea of I don't need as much as I have, and that sort of set the tone for me of being prepared to live this life as an overseas missionary. So a year or so passes, and Nick is applying to colleges. Being quite a good student in high school, he applied to some pretty prestigious schools like Harvard, Cornell, just the best of the best. And he didn't get in to any of them. So he was a senior in high school, would know where to go for college. This might have felt like the end of the world for some of us, but for Nick, it was probably the best thing that could have happened. He ended up taking a gap year with a program called Link Year, and this gave him time to reapply and think about what he really wanted from his college education. I had a bunch of older men kind of speak truth into my life, and I learned a lot about the Bible. And uh, I think in that process, what what was simply a piece of my life and being uh, a religion and something uh, kind of a Sunday exercise and going to church became something that was far more important to me. It became, and and I realized I was like, if if Jesus is who He says He is, and if the Bible is what it says it is, and all of this Christianity stuff is true that I'm being told my uh, that I've been told my whole life then it's worth giving everything to. And that could look like a myriad of different things. It didn't necessarily mean being a pastor or a missionary. Uh, you know, it could have been being a successful businessman. And it, and so that it didn't necessarily limit me, but it gave me this bigger purpose and this bigger vision for what I wanted to do with my life. What stood out in that Linky program that I can look back on now and, and say it was very foundational for me was one of the teachers that we had come in was a local pastor in town, and he talked about a lot of things one of the primary things he talked about was the importance of having a, a local church. And at the time, it didn't feel incredibly important. I remember that led me to look into local churches as I came to State College. I sat down as soon as I knew that I was going to go to Penn State and typed in State College churches, went down the list of websites, kind of looked them over. It was like, all right, what do I want to go to? Uh, you know, kind of had my my values and, and what looked attractive to me. And narrowed the list down to you know a handful of different places that I really wanted to check out and that and so that was the beginning of me realizing how valuable a church can be if it's operating the way that they're supposed to which is not what I had experienced up to that point and so I was a little bit jaded to the idea and it, I think that had played into the uh, me wanting to go do something on my own I was worried about getting bogged down and a religion that I had seen not work incredibly well and um, 
kind of turned people away. But as I had experienced what a healthy church looked like in during the Scapia program and heard about um, how valuable it could be, that was starting to lay, uh, that was starting to plant this idea for me that being involved with the church could be a good use of my time. In college, Nick started in economics because of a few interesting classes he took in high school. But then he made the switch to education with the idea of teaching English abroad after graduation. But it still wasn't satisfying enough, so he looked for other options. I was enjoying it. It wasn't quite what I was looking for. I wanted a little more ability to frame what I was doing with my classes and what I was spending my time on. And so I had heard about this program called the Bachelor of Philosophy program, which can be confusing sometimes. A lot of people think that that means you're studying actual philosophy and you're reading Nietzsche and uh, you know Soren Kierkegaard or something. And I, so I have to explain all the time that really what it is is I'm creating my own coursework. I am taking classes that are interesting to me. I'm kind of steering uh, my education. And, and so that allowed me to create a program that I've uh, come to call Biblical Studies and in Intercultural Communication, which is kind of a mouthful for a lot of people. But essentially for me, it was just a way to prepare myself to, to for a lifetime of ministry. During this transition of majors, Nick also started to realize that maybe international mission work isn't the logical next step. Instead, he got attached to the idea of doing something as part of his local church community. As I was making the switch in majors, I realized that the the best thing to be doing with my time and, and what perhaps I was being called to do with my life, what I felt this kind of pull to do, what really captured my passion and my attention was this idea of planning churches. And I realized that I would be able to do that best with um, with a framework already in place of people who were currently doing it and were doing it well and had had time to refine that system. And as I saw it work well and as I saw the effect that it had on individual people's lives and um, and the way that it was spreading across the country, that vision really captivated me. And and I can't I can't pin it on a specific moment, but I remember driving down College Ave um, right along Penn State's campus and I remember thinking, I actually love it here. And up to that point, I'd, I'd kind of seen Penn State as a stopgap until the next adventure in my life. And I realized that in a town where uh, most of the people on campus grew up Catholic and had no more interest in their faith, there was still a major need for the gospel and for a healthy local church. And I realized that I was a part of that in what I was doing. And so I was driving down College Ave and I realized it's important that I'm here. I do love this place. I love the people here. I would like to see things change. I would like, you know, I'd like to see the gospel shared better. And, and so that for me was kind of a moment where I realized this might be a place that I'm at longer than I thought it was going to be. And that I think is where I, I realized that maybe being a full-time missionary looked a little different than traveling the whole way across the world. And instead maybe looked like committing to the local church that I'd found myself in as I became a student at Penn State. And the timing of this conversation really couldn't have been more perfect. At the time that we spoke, Nick had just gotten ordained by his church as a full-time pastor. Due to his relatively young age, this transition has also been pretty interesting to watch. It's been one of the strangest things for me is the average age of a pastor in this country is decades older than I am. And so one of the things I've found myself doing frequently is almost beginning to apologize for being a pastor. People ask me what I do, and I feel like I have to explain myself immediately and be like, I know I look like I could still be in high school, 
but I am actually a pastor at a local church and, and a lot of people are able to receive that well. Some people, uh, it, it definitely comes off as strange to, um, but it's been encouraging in the midst of that process to consider uh, a lot of, a lot of pastors of old, uh, Charles Spurgeon being a famous one that I was able to draw upon a little bit, a guy that, um, extremely successful in what he did. We became a famous preacher in, in London and in the UK by the time he was 18 and I believe was leading a church of hundreds at that point, maybe the largest one in London. And so looking at people before me who were able to do it well, looking at even a verse like First uh, Timothy 4.12 where Paul tells Timothy to let no one despise him in spite of his youth, but to set the believers an example in faith and love and purity and speech and conduct. He's kind of exhorting him that you can do this, you can um, lead people despite your age. And so for me, that's been one of the biggest things I've had to come to grips with is as a recent college graduate, um, I'm pursuing something I'm passionate about and feel like I'm equipped to do well. And I have been working on owning that instead of uh, kind of operating out of this assumption that people are going to look down upon me for my age. Um, because it is being a pastor, something that I think people kind of assume is at the earliest, you can kind of hop in on that it, it, in your mid thirties. And then you're probably not good at it until you're in your forties or fifties. It feels like this unspoken assumption, but one that I've had to kind of erase from my mind as I step into this role full time. In this transition, Nick is taking on a lot of new responsibilities figuring out what it really takes to be a pastor. And in the process, he's learning a lot more about himself as well. It has been weird to go from sitting and receiving those sermons to actually giving them occasionally and starting to move into that role more. has been intimidating but really enjoyable. Uh, I know public speaking is something that not a lot of people enjoy. I found myself in public speaking situations a ton, even through high school. And so by the time I stepped into this role, it was something that I you still get butterflies, you still get a little bit nervous at times before you step up there, but whenever whenever you're passionate about what you're speaking on, it becomes way easier to get up and, and to share these things. And, and so what I've realized, though, is that so much of being a pastor is not necessarily teaching on a Sunday. In fact, that's you know, such a small part of the job so far. Um, it has... Uh, my experience on staff as a pastoral assistant for a little over a year really did set the tone well for what being a pastor was going to look like. It feels like I'm doing that role, but full time and with a little more authority, a little more responsibility. Now I'm still, uh, I'm still meeting with people frequently. That's a large part of my job. I'm still um, experiencing a lot of kind of personal development and helping put together materials for our church and growing in my knowledge of what it is that I believe and so that's still a large part of it. I still have a lot of administrative tasks, kind of small things that need to get done that I think uh, I knew coming into it was going to be a larger part of the job than I could even imagine. And I'd heard people say that, but until you experience it, you still don't really quite understand a lot of the small things that, that practically go into running a church week to week. I, I expanded from 13 to 40 hours a week which felt like it was going to be way more time to get things done. And I'm probably working more than 40 hours a week, but I still find that, uh, you know, my, my schedule is jam packed. It's not like I'm sitting there twiddling my thumbs. There's always things to do. And, and so that's not surprising to me. Um, I think what's more surprising is the way that people have began to trust me and my ability to lead them, even older people, people that I considered peers that have thrown their support behind me and, and trust. Thanks for sharing your story, Nick. How can somebody listening give you a helping hand? 
Yeah, so one of the things that would be extremely helpful to us now as a church would be to have leads and, and even help on knowing where we could potentially find space to meet as a church. Um, I think even small things like a way, different ways that we can advertise and get in the community, like just even a general awareness of community events um, sometimes seems like it's a difficult thing to figure out. I know there's, I've, I've tried to track down websites, but even just a way to know what's going on in the community and find ways that we can uh, help serve, both serve the community and um, get our name out there. Uh, I think that's a big part of what my job has been so far. So, so people in the community that are well connected, that have vision for those kinds of things, that um, have, have businesses that would be able to help us with any of those practicals really would be useful to be in touch with just in terms of um, saving us time trying to tra- trying to track them down just having connections within the community that we can rely on as we continue to grow and expand and and seek ways to to serve the people of state college um, yeah that's all for today you can find everyone we have featured in the show at our page on linkedin if you know someone who can lend them a helping hand please take a minute and help them make that connection you just might be helping someone change the world the People of LinkedIn page and podcast is produced and edited by me, Ben Yan. Artwork is by my dear friend, Big Sam. And the original music is composed by Hume Hume and Kevin McLeod. Thank you very much for listening, and best of luck with your own ideas.